You're listening to Portfolio Builders, a wealth cap holdings podcast about long-term wealth building and financial independence. So with that being said, guys, I'm super excited. Um, today, we got a very special guest, someone who I've worked with, Scott's worked with, Justin and Luke, who I know you work with as well, Infinger and Justin Houle, Devin, um, and I think they've done a lot of volume with you, have worked with him as well. We've all been extremely extremely impressed it, to the point where I, quick story, I worked with another group before working with Devin in, in WealthCap, and I actually paid for the privilege of being able to buy houses from them, like 10 grand. And then they were just the worst customer support ever. And, you know, I asked for like a couple extra days to make a decision on a house and it just complete assholes. And I was not happy with them um, at all. Cash flow tactics, if anybody knows those guys, but um, I'm not afraid. Bro, in this, mar- in this market, you were trying to wait two days for to, to buy a house, bro? Come on. I mean, I get no, it. No, this dude. was a year ago and it wasn't, oh, okay. they, they are, they'd already bought the house. They wouldn't even oh, give me an okay. extra day. Like it was in their control, right? And and they had told me, the problem was what they had told me I, I would be able to, but there's two partners. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It was terrible. This whole experience has been amazing. I wanted to bring Devin in to talk about what we've been doing. I know a lot of you guys are at a point where we We've got cash flow. We've got investments. Um, I know Joel Cowan. You've already got investments in the program, so I wanted to, you know, talk more about what we're doing. Um, so that being said, Devin, I'll let you just quickly, you know, introduce yourself, and then we can we can rock and roll. We're going to be doing all about building wealth today. So Devin, I'll turn it over to you. Awesome. Well, nice to meet you guys. Uh, my name is Devin Johnson. I'm the senior investment advisor here at WealthCap Holdings. Um, little background about me. Um, basically, how I earn the right to sit in this seat. I started off as an investor. Uh, About 10 years ago, I sold a retail business. I had a little bit of cash. I bought a house and flipped it and basically fell in love with the process. And after that, I thought, well, maybe I should get my real estate license. From there, I built a real estate business. Uh, I built a property management company, had my own brokerage. I did flips for clients and for myself. And uh, a couple of years ago, ended up moving to Tennessee and was hired by Chris and Taylor, who own WealthCap, and they actually hired me for a different position at one of their other companies. Um, and then when they found out about my real estate experience, they said, hey, we just started this real estate company and would love to have your help building that. So my main job is helping folks like you um, invest in real estate, everything from figuring out the financing, figuring out which deals are a good fit for your, uh, for your investment goals figuring out what your passive income goals are and how to get there. And I'm really excited to get to share some stuff with you guys today. I put together a little presentation. If you will give me permission to share screen. Do I have permission? Yep, you should be good to go. Okay, cool. And you guys can see my screen, okay? Yep. Yep, okay. You're ready to rock. Cool. So uh, what I want to share with you guys today is a little bit about why real estate is a solid investment vehicle. Um, So why real estate? There's several different ways that you can make and save money with real estate investment versus some other investment vehicles. When you, you know, invest in the stock market, um, there's one, maybe two ways that you're, that you're making money with real estate. There are a multitude of ways. The asset is going to appreciate in value over the long term. You're going to have cash flow. <clears throat> You've got the benefit of the debt being paid down by somebody else over time, which gives you equity essentially for free that either can be leveraged or down the road if you sell the asset. Um, essentially, you know, you had to pay very little to own that asset. Then there's also tax benefits that go along with real estate ownership. There's the benefit of the depreciation. You can depreciate investment property. You can't do that with a house that you live in, uh, but similar to when you invest in equipment for a business, you get to take depreciation on those assets. And then there's also offset of your earned income. That kind of depends on how your structure is set up. And uh, before I get too deep, I would also like to say I am not an accountant or an attorney or an investment, uh, you know, a, uh, a, what are they, a certified financial planner. So don't sue me for anything that I'm sharing. Uh, this is all basic math and my experience. So money 101, inflation. Um, I hate that saying that a penny saved is a penny earned. I think that's bullshit because it's not. A penny saved is like 97% of a penny earned. And over time that diminishes more and more and more. 
as you guys all know, we're not on any kind of a gold standard. Money is essentially paper. It has value because we say it does. The government has the ability to print more money, put more in circulation, so the value of each dollar diminishes. To kind of put that into perspective and give some example, like the example that I have on the screen here is a bit of an extreme, but I think it really makes the point. If there were only 100 $1 bills total and you earn one $1 bill a year and a house costs $1 to buy, so that's 1% of the total supply, um, say the next two years, the government prints 900 more $1 bills. You're still earning $1 a year. The total supply has increased essentially tenfold and it still costs 1% of the total supply to purchase a home or whatever asset. Your buying power has essentially decreased by 90%. So let's say you double your production. You start making twice as much money as you were the year before. You're now making $2 a year. You still don't have really any more buying power because it still costs 1% of the total supply to buy a house. So what you used to be able to buy in one year now takes you five years. Does that make sense? Nod, no, okay. So even though technically you're earning more money, your buying power is diminishing over time, which means that the value of your time is diminishing because we all have you know, somewhat limited to capacity, what we, can, what we can produce in however many hours a day. And it's just like a, it's a total rat race if you're constantly trying to in, increase your production to stay on pace with that inflation. And if you stop running, <laughs> then you have no income. So that example is a little bit extreme, but let's look at, you know, like a real example. Current inflation is around two to 3% annually. I think from 18 to 19, it was like 2.05%. Um, a lot of money has been put into the market in the not too distant past. So uh, let's say you take $1,000, you bury it in a can in the backyard. 10 years later at 3% depreciation, it's worth $744. That may not seem like a huge, you know, a huge decrease, but if you were to take say 200K and bury it in a can for 30 years at 3% depreciation or 3% inflation, the future value of that 200K, the buying power is essentially $82,000, you know, less than half of what you put into the dirt. So 200K sitting in your savings account where it's not really earning a yield 30 years down the road is going to be worth less than half of what you put in. You would need $485,000 in the future to have the same buying power of that 200K today. Something that I disagree with quite a bit is that debt is a bad thing. Um, there's, there's productive debt and there's consum consumptive debt. When you just like leverage everything you have to buy a boat, buy watches, buy stupid BS that's never going to pay you, that's, I mean, that's just goofy. But productive debt is whenever you're using leverage to acquire an asset that's going to pay you money. It's arbitrage, basically, right? So if you were to take that same $200,000 and invest it into real estate, let's say with that 200 k if you were to purchase five homes, each with an average value of about 175K with a 20% down payment, that would be approximately, you know, 38 to 40K invested per property. The rental income on that house is 1450 a month minus your expenses because you're going to have a mortgage payment, taxes, management, et cetera. It's going to cash flow, let's say $400 a month. You multiply that times five properties, that's $2,000 a month in income. And the asset base would be worth about 875 grand. And here I'm sharing with you guys a pro forma. So you can see, like, I didn't just pull those numbers out of my rear. These are some actual calculations. And this is a 100% a real world example. A 13% cash on cash return for... 38K invested to acquire an asset that's worth $175,000 is a really solid real estate investment. 
the industry standard for turnkey is around an 8% cash on cash return. That's what most turnkey providers offer. At WealthCap, our floor is around 10% cash on cash. That's kind of the bottom that we're going to go to. 10 to 15% cash on cash return is what we're looking for. That's re- the return on the cash needed to acquire that asset, not the total value. You can also see, you know, the mortgage payment, taxes, insurance, assumptions for maintenance, vacancy, total cash flow around $400 a month. Looking at the long-term projection of what will happen to this $200,000 versus the 200K that's buried in the can, losing value year over year, um, over the long-term, houses are going to appreciate in value. In the short term, they're going to fluctuate up and down. Like we were talking before we really got into it today, you know, the market is bananas right now. Everything is selling over ask, super fast, um, you know, cash buyers, no inspections. It's insane. That is not normal market activity. (laughs) Then it will not stay like that forever. Um, However, looking at a long-term, somewhat conservative projection of around 5% appreciation for 20, 30 years. The asset that today would be worth $175,000, 30 years down the road, the value would be approximately 800K. The annual cash flow is gonna stay fairly steady. This projection does not have any assumptions for rental increases. It's just assuming that the rent stays the same. The mortgage payment is not gonna increase unless you do some kind of a refinance. Otherwise that is gonna stay steady. Um, So the annual income is gonna stay right around 2,800 bucks a year. However, the value of the asset itself is going to appreciate over time. Also over time, the loan balance is going to decrease. So the actual value of the house is going to increase over time and the leverage left on the asset is going to decrease over time giving that the equity spread that you have is going to increase, you know, exponentially over the long term. So say you hold this house for 10 years and sell it, your cash position would be about $184,000. That would be due to the the debt pay down, the increase in equity, and of course the return of the down payment that you initially made. So, Doing some compound long-term math, which is my personal fave. I love doing math with folks. In 10 years, if you were, say you had five properties along this, this example, worth 175K, rented out at 1450 a month. After 10 years, each one of those five properties would have approximately 155K in equity, which would give you a total of about 775K in equity in those five homes. You could then leverage that equity There's a couple ways you can go about that, either with a HELOC, you could refinance them all into a portfolio loan and take the equity out that way, access that cash and use that cash to acquire, say, 15 more properties with an average 40 to 50K down on those. And if each of those properties is cash flowing approximately $400 a month, you've then added You've added 15 properties to your portfolio without taking any additional cash out of your pocket. This is just leveraging what's been going to work without any effort on your part, essentially for the last 10 years. So at that point, total monthly passive income would have increased from 2K to 8K. Asset base has increased from, you know, what was it, 875K to about 8 million. And the cash invested is still $200,000. 10 more years, leverage the equity again. Your portfolio could then, ha- yeah, go ahead. I love questions. Is it Devin or Devon? How do you, Devin. How do you it's Devin. Devin. Mm-hmm. Devin, perfect. Can, um, can you go through the part where you could sell them in the, um, what is it called? You can package it together. What is that called and, and how does that work? A portfolio loan? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. So essentially, um, there's a couple, there's a couple different times that that would make sense. Either if you're wanting to refinance a bunch of properties and put them all on one large loan, um, or if any, if any properties had commercial loans on them or were titled in an LLC, a HELOC may not be an option. A HELOC is a home equity line of credit. So a portfolio loan is essentially 
instead of an individual mortgage on each property, you would refinance all of the properties onto one large loan. As if it was a business. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. The reason I'm asking is, are you familiar with the Burr strategy? Yes. Cool. So I just got done doing my first Burr and I'm... um, uh, they just approved the refi part out of it, mm-hmm. but I think I put it under my personal uh, name because it's my first home purchase. Yeah. So obviously now that the process starts to to happen, I, I think you can only have like what I think three personal in, uh, income. Uh, sorry, uh, three personal. How many? You can have a total of ten. Total of ten. Okay, perfect, beautiful. Yeah. So then I have some ways to go. Yeah. Uh, some- the question was like after. I get to that point, then how many, like, how do I like, how do you keep buying? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a great question. And there are some gentlemen on the call that we've, we've gotten into this fun part of the financing. There are some banks that will limit you to four loans with them. Um, Especially given what is going on in the market over the last couple of months, there have been a little bit of increase in short sales, interest rates have gone up a little bit. So quite a few banks have really tightened their regulations on investment property loans um, so that there's not a repeat of, oh wait. That being said, quite a few banks, the bank that you are with may limit you to four, but the Fannie and Freddie guideline right now is that you can have 10 conventional loans. All of those loans, they're only written to individuals. They're not written to LLCs. I recommend to every investor Take as many conventional loans as you can get as fast as you can get them because that's the cheapest money on the market. Um, The next route is going to be commercial lending. Commercial lending is also awesome because sometimes they don't require tax returns. Often Mm -hmm. you can take the title and the debt in an LLC. However, more often than not, your debt, your uh, down payments are going to be higher. They're going to be 25% and your interest is going to be higher. It's going to be at least a point over whatever you're paying for um, traditional investment mortgage. Or if you get to a point in the year where you're basically maxed out on your debt to income and the, the banks won't give you any more of the quote unquote cheap money, uh, yeah. those commercial lenders are always a great option. I have a couple of those loans myself um, because I wanted to buy a few more at the end of last year and I was maxed out on how much money a conventional lender would give me. So I went the the commercial route. So either when you've maxed out your 10 or let's say you've got a a few properties, they're in your personal name, a couple of years go by, they've increased in equity. You wanna move them into an entity of some kind and also access the equity that you've built. One of the easiest things to do would be to take all of those properties out of your personal name, sell them to the LLC using a portfolio loan, and then you could take out the cash of that equity at closing. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. It would be similar to Burr, but just like over a longer time frame, and you're kind of arbitraging from yourself to your entity. Yeah, that makes sense. Great question. Okay, so... Uh, Going on with the math, um, buy five houses, wait 10 years, leverage the equity, add 15 more without taking cash out of your pocket. You've got a total of 20 doors in your portfolio, passive income about 8K a month. You wait another 10 years, you could do the same thing. You have quite a few properties in your portfolio, 20. Each one is increasing in equity over the long term. You've got debt pay down and appreciation forcing that equity. Do the same thing, lather, rinse, repeat, leverage that equity. You'd have a total of a 45-door portfolio that would produce about 18K in monthly income, 216K annual. This is the amount that you originally invested, you know, 20 years prior. The asset base would be worth about 20 million. And total cash out of pocket invested is still only 200K. Conversely, I have a question. I have an answer. So on that example, if you could go back for one second. Um, so let's say we're like, all right, that plan looks good. You know, the clients are really getting under my skin. Let's just do this. Um, uh, that was a 20-year timeline, right? So by these numbers and whatnot, um, could you basically do the same thing in less time if you had more cash? Obviously, right? 
Oh yeah. Sort of, it would just sort of like be exponential if you draw out the same, because time's always going to play a factor with the prices going up. So you can't get away from that. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of ways to do this math and it's a hundred percent customizable. So anybody like if they're, if they're listening, watching this later, whatever, we can do this math individualized based on what your earned income is. There's a few, a few factors go into this. How much are you earning? How much are you burning and how much can you invest annually? And then if you don't like the numbers that you see, if you want to get to a million a year faster, there's things in your control. As an entrepreneur, you can make more money or you can spend less <laughs> in order to have more to invest. Uh, but time and yield are, you know, those are the two main factors that are going to go into how much passive income you can produce. So if you want to go faster, if you want bigger, more yesterday, which you probably do, Scott, because I know you, then yeah, <laughs> uh, then yes, invest more and the numbers will grow exponentially. And I'm happy to jump one-on-one -on -one with anybody and do, uh, you know, if you want to do your math with your numbers, we can do that anytime. I love doing it. Right, but time's always going to be a factor no matter what. Because you, even if you bought, you know, 100 properties yesterday, like, you wouldn't be able to refinance that no. until five or 10 years, right? Yeah, yeah. The time is always going to be a factor if you want to leverage equity. If you're in a cash position where you can just buy 100 properties outright that are each going to cash flow fourteen fifty a month, then that makes the math really, really simple. If you want to be able to leverage, you know, leverage equity... The, yeah, time. That's based on time. Yeah, I'm not Nick Robbins. I can't buy 100. I'm just wondering. <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah, okay. Nick, what are you doing? Are you saving all your money? Just, yeah, I. Bro, what, what are you talking about? 100 million? Guys, in the, 100 Devin, million in the is, Devin has helped convince me to spend a little bit. I'm nervous about it. I've been spending more. I've been, I've been extremely conservative, but I'm terrified of what the value of money is going to be in a, in a short time period based on everything that's happening. So literally exactly what Devin just said. That's why you want to spend it. Exactly. No, exactly. I know. I, I, I'm going to make it so that instead of like a hundred years of savings and business accounts, I'm going to drop it down to like 50, you know, in cash and just get, invest the rest. So Maybe working like on it. A year. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll definitely hit you up later, Nick, because I've got some inventory. But Let's do it. Uh, I'm writing. Yep. <laughs> I, was, so, I was late to the party, guys. Um, just came in. Um, but uh, yeah, I would actually be very interested in having that like one in one. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. When, I'll make, guys, uh, one thing I'll say here the, the reason why Devin has been amazing, especially since I had the experience with another group similar to this, was the ability that she would jump on. She responds to my texts, even if they're stupid questions, you know, like she'll respond immediately. And uh, well, not immediately. I don't want to put unreal expectations. She responds quickly. She'll jump on calls. She'll answer questions. She met with me probably like three times before I bought the first house. I am extremely conservative when it comes to cash and all that stuff. And um, it's been incredible. So I'll make sure that everyone has the contact information and be able to reach out to her. No doubt. Awesome. So uh, for anybody who's thinking, well, maybe if I don't want to use all that leverage, what if I just want to buy a handful or a couple dozen houses and let them get paid off over time? You can totally do that. It'll still produce awesome income. It doesn't grow quite as exponentially if you're not using the leverage. But from the you know, example that I was showing, if you just bought the five houses, let them get paid off assuming a very conservative rent increase of up to $1,700 a month, then at the end of that 30 years when the houses are totally paid off, the asset base would be worth about $4 million and you'd have $102K annual income um, from that original $200K invested 30 years prior. God, that's sexy. Isn't it? Isn't math sexy? This call is really just turning me on. It's the Thank funnest you, thing ever. Me too. I already messaged them. I said, all right, I'm buying two more. Let's go. So you uh, I, I had so more? much fun this morning on, uh, just doing this math and putting this together. And so thank y'all. It's been yeah. super fun. So some things that are not factored into any of these projections, um, because it, it's really too variable to factor it in, is some of the tax benefits that you're going to get with owning real estate. This is, this is another business depending on how you're structured. Um, and I do have some training that I can send you on 
assets and net worth and structuring that might be really beneficial. You may or may not be able to use earned income from your business. If you have an info business or a service business, you can't necessarily offset that income directly in a real estate business unless you're organized correctly. However, having another business uh, with some deductions is going to be able to help you quite a bit. You will be able to take depreciation like I mentioned earlier in the call, just like when you purchase equipment for a business. The mortgage interest is also a deduction. And then you're gonna have the expenses of like, you know, the insurance that you have to buy, um, any repairs and maintenance, you'll be able to take those deductions as well. And like I said before, don't sue me. I am not a financial advisor, accountant, uh, or any, any of the like. So I can't officially help you with any of that, I might be able to send you some names and referrals and I can send you some things that I have in our personal client library that you may find helpful. Um, so to give you a little bit of a background on WealthCap Holdings, who we are and what we do, you all may or may not be familiar with uh, Chris Evans and Taylor Welch, the owners of Traffic and Funnels. They are also the owners of WealthCap Holdings. Long story short, they have a couple of fairly successful businesses that are generating quite a bit of cash. They started WealthCap around two years ago because they wanted to take the cash they were generating from their businesses and invest it into real estate for the long term. Originally, WealthCap was never intended to be a business. It was, it was created for selfish endeavor. Um, so Chris and Taylor started by buying turnkey uh, from a turnkey provider, similar to what Nick was sharing he was trying to do. And the results were okay, not great. And the returns were okay, not great. So they decided they should probably try to create the product that they actually wanted. Started marketing, found some off-market deals, hired rehab teams, got the properties rented out, hired property managers, got tenants in place. Everything's working really well. Meanwhile, there's a huge client base from our existing businesses. A lot of high income earners, a lot like you guys on this call who started to ask like, hey, what do we do uh, for investment? What do we do for the long-term? So there was inherent demand from our existing client base already. Ta-da, another business was born. Fast forward to where we are now. There's a couple main aspects of our business. We are actively building a portfolio for Chris and Taylor. And essentially, we buy extra inventory and make that available as turnkey investments for folks like you. You guys are very busy building your businesses. You have no business doing rehabs. So anytime we come across a deal that fits our criteria, we're going to go ahead and buy it. That criteria includes 10 to 15% cash on cash return. Second criteria is would we hold this house in our portfolio? We're only buying properties that we would also keep. We analyze deals through a single lens. So if Chris and Taylor wouldn't want it in their portfolio, it's not gonna be offered to our investor list. Uh, that has a lot to do with the area that the property's in. We don't really buy in A, A plus neighborhoods. Those are like gated communities, HOAs, very difficult to make a return with those added expenses. Opposite end of the spectrum, your DNF neighborhoods look great on paper, but you're in the hood and you're going to have a lot of expensive problems. We focus on mostly B, maybe an occasional C plus type neighborhood, average working class, suburban, middle America. That's our jam. You, do, next, you guys don't like dealing with the hood? No. Nah. I hear it gets fun in there. Ain't worth it. Uh, no, not worth it at all. So next thing we're going to look at is what does the rehab look like on this property? We, in order to determine that, we're going to have a professional inspection done before we even buy it. And once we have the inspection back, our rehab team is going to come up with a scope of work. They're going to look first at what are the critical red line items that really need to be uh, taken care of. Next, we're going to look at major CapEx, roof, HVAC, hot water heater, how much life is left in those systems. If there's, say, 10 years left in a roof, we're not going to replace it now. You can use tenants' money down the road to do that when it's actually needed versus overspending uh, on the rehab in, you know, right out of the gate. But if those systems are shot, we're going to work it into the budget. Next, we're going to look at um, what improvements can be made that will increase the rent rate. Can we add a bedroom, add a half bath? That's going to increase the rent and increase the return. Finally, we're going to look at making cosmetic improvements because we want to be able to charge the maximum amount of rent but we don't want to over-improve on anything that's not going to actually bring a return. So quartz countertops, designer light fixtures in a 150K house, for example, in the working class suburbs of Birmingham, Alabama would be dumb. 
uh, you'd never see a return on that investment. So once the rehab team has come up with the final scope of work and we verify like, yep, we can do everything that needs to be done to this property within the budget that makes sense, we'll go ahead and buy the house, get started on the rehab. A lot of folks want to know why do Chris and Taylor sell any of the houses? Why don't they just keep them all if they're all so awesome? I am not a volunteer. Uh, they pay me to chat with fine folks like you all day. So the properties that we sell as turnkeys, we make a profit. Uh, we make our profit on doing the flip. And that profit essentially is what covers our overhead, pays for me, acquisitions team, rehab team, operational staff. It takes a lot of bodies to do what we do. And essentially the properties that we sell are the gasoline that keeps the whole train moving. Also, we, uh, you know, so how we decide which ones we keep and which ones we're going to sell. We are very data-driven in everything that we do. So we have a target every month, how many properties we're going to add to the portfolio in what markets. We want to keep the portfolio distributed with a certain allocation per market because each one is a little bit different. Our three markets are Kansas City, Missouri, Birmingham, Alabama, and Charlotte, North Carolina. Kansas City and Birmingham tend to have higher cash-on-cash cash returns. Uh, your cap rates are going to be higher in those areas. You're going to get more cash compared to the purchase price in those two markets. However, appreciation is around three and four and a half percent annually in those two markets. Charlotte is on the total opposite end of the spectrum. Cash return tends to be closer to 10% in our range. However, the appreciation, the last data that I just saw was it was over 12% for the last 12 months. That's like astronomical growth. Um, you know, my projection was based on five. So you can imagine what 12% appreciation would do in a market. Granted, I don't think that's sustainable over 30 years by any means, but for the short term, I'm sure you can, can get the picture. That being said, with our portfolio, we don't want to have too many properties in any one market. So if we're starting to get a little saturated in our holdings, we'll release out some of the properties from our portfolio to our investor list to make sure that it stays distributed fairly evenly. Hey, hey, if you are looking to transition from business owner or employee or salesperson or producer, et cetera, to investor, someone who can build long-term wealth without the hassle or the headaches of dealing with all of the downsides that come with real estate, then you should chat with somebody on our team. You can go to wealthcapholdings.com slash book, B-O-O-K dash now, N-O-W. We have a team of licensed advisors who can help put together your game plan with your goals. Where do you want to be? How much passive cash flow do you want per year? And what markets should you be in to maximize your profitability, but at the same time, minimize and mitigate the downside? There's a lot of investment opportunities in the United States right now, but I got to be honest with you that what I've seen a lot of times People are putting together deals for maximum profitability, but they're not respecting the risk involved in the game. Our team can help formulate a game plan for you, tell you which markets to be in, which ones to hit first, and then potentially, if we have a team in that market, even source the deals for you. There's nothing like what we're doing right now. It is top of class in every category. Wealthcapholdings.com slash book dash now. The call is free and the plans will be very, very, very valuable for you. Hope to talk soon. Now back to the show. Uh, once properties are released out to our investor list, essentially it's first come first serve. It's, it's in your best interest to have Devin's cell phone number. Uh, and basically if anybody is interested in, you know, going into the details of what it looks like to work with us, I'm happy to do one-on-one -on -one calls with going into the math or, you know, through the final process, but basically WealthCap identifies the opportunities which deals are good deals to buy in good rental markets. We're going to do the rehab and what we sell is turnkey is a finished product. Uh, so the price is the price. There's no price for service. Basically you buy the house and Devin is included. <laughs> I'm expensive for Chris and Taylor, but not for y'all. Um, so People ask me sometimes, well, like, what if something goes wrong in rehab? There's a surprise and, you know, you go 10K over budget. We just have to eat that. That's essentially how that part works. We have a transaction team in-house that's going to help facilitate everything with the transaction. The back and forth with the title company, with the lender that you're using, we'll send you referrals for insurance and all of that. As soon as the rehab is done, we're going to get the property manager started on looking for a tenant. On average, it takes about 30 days to find and place a tenant. So a property management partner is going to start 
conducting showings, screening tenants. Uh, when they improve an applicant, they'll get the tenant moved into the home and ongoing that property manager is going to be the main point of contact for the tenant. Nobody is going to call one of y'all in the middle of the night when a toilet backs up, they're going to call the property manager. Praise Jesus. That is a hard job. <laughs> I know. Cause I used to, I used to do it. I used to own one. And then at closing the house fully conveys into your ownership. It's your house. We don't have any ongoing interest in what you do with it. So down the road, you want to sell it. You can do that down the road. You want to, you know, leverage them all and buy 30 more. You can do that. Um, we have all the partners set up that you might need along the way. So you don't have to figure any of that stuff out, but you're also not obligated to use any of them if you don't want to. And that's my spiel on what we do at WealthCap and how everything works. And I have plenty of time for Q&A with you guys. Um, I do have a hard stop at 1.45 my time because they're going to kick me out of the studio. But from now until then, I'm happy to answer any questions that you guys might have. Oh my gosh, there's like a thousand messages in the chat. Hey, Devin, just wanted to say hi. Hi. <laughs> Oh, it's David. How are you? I'm good. Good to see you. Good to see you too. Hey, Devin, I have a couple questions for you. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the financing, I'm assuming that you have uh, uh, lenders that are local to the state for, for each of these properties or how are we, you doing your lending? We do, but we also have some that are nationwide. Um, it just kind of depends on the individual investor. Uh, most investors are going to come to me and we're going to have a little chit chat about how you look on paper to figure out what is going to be the best financing option for you. A nationwide lender, in my personal opinion, is one of the easier ways to go because it gives you just a lot more flexibility. So you don't have to have a different lender per state. Okay. You don't find that the, the nationwide lenders are a little bit more uh, stricter on their criteria, whereas like a local community bank will be a little bit more lenient trying to get the business? No, not necessarily. Uh, I found one of the national lenders that I send a lot of business to is more competitive than any small local bank I've ever worked with. Hmm. Um, so that's one. The only one benefit of a smaller local bank, if they happen to hold the paper in-house, is they might be able to approve somebody if they were, say, only self-employed for one year mm -hmm. um, and another bank wouldn't approve them. That might be one option. Uh, but otherwise, no. Okay. okay. Yeah. Now, for the, uh, the properties, are you guys just doing single family or are you doing any uh, multifamily as well? It's predominantly single family. We mm -hmm. do have some multifamilies that pop up from time to time. And I think mm -hmm. over the long term, we'll probably, you know, add some more in, in the multifamily direction. However, single family is one of the safest investments when it comes to real estate. There is always high demand for single family homes. They're easy to liquidate. They're easy to rent. Also, there tends to be less turnover in single family homes, which really reduces your vacancy losses over, you know, when you've got a multiplex. In general, the smaller the unit, the more often people are going to move, unless you're like in New York City. Uh, when somebody moves into a three bedroom, two bath house with their kids and dogs, like nobody wants to move that stuff every year. They tend yeah. to renew. Uh, yeah. So that's and a benefit. Okay. And what I mean, uh, I guess I've to clarify the definition, when I say multifamily, I'm doing more like the five plus units versus like the duplex, tries, and quads being labeled under the single family. So do you mean that doing the multifamily like duplexes, tries, and quads, or you mean the five unit plus? I'm talking currently like duplexes, tries, and, and quads. Okay. Over Honestly, over the last few years, uh, the cap rates on the multis with five mm -hmm. units or more have really gone down. Um, okay. There's been kind of a craze in the real estate investment world with the multifamilies. And honestly, I don't, I don't think the returns are necessarily as good. If you're going to get a 6% cap rate on a multi, you may as well buy single families where you're going to get an 8 or 9% cap rate. Mm -hmm. Okay. You also have a lot of expenses with a multi. Mm -hmm. If and when you want to liquidate, there are not nearly as many buyers in the market. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, 
Now, when it comes to the, uh, you were talking about uh, once you basically used up all your uh, conventional financing options, you go to the commercial route or you go to the, um, the lenders that are more geared towards investment properties. Um, for those ones, when people get to that point, you just say, okay, talk to this lender, talk to this lender, talk to this lender. Well, it's going to depend on the individual, but I do have, um, like I have lending partners that I would suggest they start with. Mm-hmm. Some are, some are asset-based lenders. Um, some might be banks that do commercial loans and hold, you know, hold the paper in-house. It just kind of depends on the individual, what's going to be the best fit for them and the kind of terms that they're looking for. Some commercial lenders, you know, like there's one that I've, I've worked with quite a bit in the Missouri market, they're fantastic, but they'll only do a 20 year amortization. They require a 25% down payment and their interest rate is around 5%. So you build equity a lot faster, but your payment is higher because of that 20 year amortization. Mm-hmm. So it that can also be customized depending on what is important to the investor. Um, there's some asset based lenders that we do quite a bit of business with that they have really favorable terms, 25% down around five and a half percent interest, 30 year amortization. I mean, that's almost as good as good as a conventional yeah. loan yeah. and there's no tax returns required. It's just a, a minimum credit score and liquidity. Mm-hmm. Those ones are doing mostly, uh, they're looking at the cash flow. Are they looking at the cash flow mostly to the two um, yeah. to underwrite the yeah. loan? Yeah, that would be considered an asset-based lender. So they're going to verify the rent uh, and make sure that there's a certain debt coverage service ratio. Mm -hmm. Uh, In in the event something happens to you and they own the asset, you know, is the rent going to service the debt? Mm -hmm. Are they looking, what's that number for most of them? Is it 1.25, 1.3, 1.5? It it varies from Mm -hmm. lender to lender, but 1.2 is pretty, like, is pretty common. Mm, Okay. For a lot of those. Okay. Have you ever used uh, um, Lima One? You know, I have not because okay. I don't find their terms to be as favorable as mm. some others. Mm-hmm. Um, but like Corvest, Lima One, those are some of the big names in that space. And they yeah. do they do a lot of loans, but I don't mm-hmm. think they have the most favorable terms. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. I did them, I used them for... Um, for uh, a friend of mine, but this was a couple of years ago. Um, I know that they're very, well, it seems like they're very lenient as far as the terms go. So like if your tax returns are all screwed up because of whatever you're doing, they basically just look at the, um, at the cash flow. Yeah. But when we actually did the loan, like they were, they were very nitpicky over a lot of things. So yes. I just didn't know if you've, if you've used them recently and if they're still like that. I haven't used them uh, because the last time I was looking, like their interest rates were for a single property loan, they were like seven and a half, eight percent, and I had a, a competitor that was around five to six percent. Mm-hmm. So that made a huge difference. Um, but the competitor was also—they're very nitpicky. If you're taking if you're taking debt and taking title in an LLC, they're going to have their legal team review it. You may have yeah. to you know, add an addendum to your operating agreement or something, change the verbiage to make sure that it's in compliance with their legal department. So yeah, they're nitpicky. They're honestly, they're all kind of a, it's all kind of a pain, but choose, choose your pain. Do you want the, do you want the debt and the title in the LLC and be able to buy essentially as much as you want to buy because you have the cash or, you know, you can go through the pain of tax returns and, bank statements and a pint of blood and your firstborn and all that that goes on with a conventional loan. Like either way, it's not, you know, it's kind of, it can be a pain the first time, but I have found with a lot of those asset based lenders though, once your first one is done, the second one gets a lot easier. Yeah. I, since I already have the file on you. Yeah. Yeah. They just need mm-hmm. some new bank statements to show liquidity and then mm-hmm. it gets a whole lot easier. Okay. Unless you're using a new LLC and then it's yeah. another, another pain in the rear again. So okay. now I'm curious of how you, uh, I, I know you're not, uh, I don't think you're an attorney. So as far as the advice you're giving, I'm not going to hold you to it. Um, but I'm just wondering how you do this with the other investors. Like they take title to the investment property and their personal name to get the loan. Um, but for the sake of protection, 
they should have it in some kind of entity like an LLC. Yeah. How do the majority of your investors deal with that, like getting the loan in the personal name and the title has to be in the personal name versus having the title to the property in an entity to have that protection. Now, I don't know if uh, your investors are doing this where they get the loan in their personal name and then they just change the title over to the LLC and they don't tell the lender since the lender's probably never going to check. But yes. I'm wondering. Yes, that's what most people do. And that's, okay. what I, and that's what I personally have done. And now it's out there in front of God and everybody. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've gotten debt in my personal name and okay. then I'll file a quick claim deed. Okay. Super simple. You can yeah. do it online, Rocket Lawyer or any of those services, or you can have an attorney draw it up. Mm -hmm. uh, but it takes five minutes. You just copy the verbiage verbatim from the deed, file the quick claim with the title company, pay the $40, $40 and ta-da, that's done. Um, it that's is how you high transfer it from personal to LLC, just that? Yes. That's how you transfer the deed. The debt will stay in your name. So then the when you go... When you go and, and refinance that, if you're going to refinance it in your personal name, you, uh, does that get a bit tricky then since they're going to see the record of the it can. Of title? Or, yeah. let, but if you're going to refinance it under commercial, are they really going to um, complain about it? Or are they just going to say, okay, well, you did this. We'll just refinance it in commercial. It, can't, it would probably get trickiest if you were trying to take out a HELOC and you had transferred the deed. Uh, because no matter how you, if you're doing a refi or if you're selling the property to a new entity, mm -hmm. which might be one of the easiest things to do if you were to say, wait five years and you wanted to refi, mm -hmm. but you could actually sell the property to another entity that you owned, I the see. debt the debt would have to be cleared at closing okay. no matter what but yeah. that that would probably and i'm again and i'm not clear up the title yeah i'm not an attorney uh <laughs> blah 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 but yeah. <laughs> if i were in that position that is exactly what i would do okay yep. okay got it okay That's okay fine. um i'm gonna try to read through this chat and see if there's any questions in here or there just, wasn't a ton of questions in there. Um, okay. People were just kind of talking about different stuff and living in RVs and getting excited about the call and stuff. So um, there was, there, I, was, I was keeping track in there. Uh, Joel, did you have a question? I saw you un, unmuted the mic there. Did you have a... Uh, I mean, I can ask a question. I was just curious uh, how you guys calculated uh, cash flow because I, I noticed on the pro forma, like there was the, I guess, initial cash flow, but then you added in, you know, debt pay down and, and that and you know, some of the other things. Can you share yeah, that again? Absolutely. Let me share my screen with you and we will go through it. Let's see. Okay. Oops. Sorry, I'm not really good with the PowerPoint. Let me flip to this screen here. Okay. So the cash flow, that number is mortgage or pardon me, rental income minus fixed expenses. So your fixed expenses are going to be your mortgage payment, taxes, insurance, and management fee. The net operating income is assuming vacancy and maintenance. There's going to be times when people move in and out. There's going to be times when things break. So that's an assumption. Cash flow is basically, you know, after fixed expenses, net operating income assumptions for some of those variables, the debt pay down. That's for the first year only because over time that's going to increase right? How much of your mortgage payment is going towards principal versus interest. So the total return is the net operating income. According to our calculations, people do things differently. Uh, but for us, total return is the net operating income plus the debt pay down. The main numbers that I'm personally looking at are cash flow and cash return. I want to see over 10% on the cash return. And cash flow, you know, it depends on the house, how much I want to see. And every investor is different. I know uh, certain individuals, like they want over X amount of dollars. Others are more concerned with the percentage of cash return. But for example, if you were to buy a 110K house, like a really cheap one, and it was rented out at $1,000 a month, that's probably an 18% cash on cash return. 
but in terms of cash flow, it's probably going to be like, I don't know, 178 bucks a month. So it's not going to produce as many dollars percentage wise. It might be more, um, you don't really take it percentages to the bank, you take dollars. So that's something to keep in mind. Also a person's kind of life position and goals are going to affect what's most important to them too. I talked to some people that like, they really hate their job, hate their life. So we're going to want to focus on cash flow um, a lot, which will, you know, really dictate what markets we look at and what kinds of properties. Other people that are, you know, they're trying to build legacy for their children's children. They might have a little more variety in what they choose to put in their portfolio. Some are more based on the percentage returns. Some are cash flow focused. Some are more equity plays for the long term. Is that helpful? Yeah. So, uh, you know, if, if, if we were working together and I said, Devin, I just care about cash flow. Like at the end of the day, I want $250 or more yeah. per month in cash flow. I should look at the NOI or like what line am I looking at to know like this is, this meets the criteria. This house is going to produce $417 a month in cash. You will have variable expenses. Sure. So with those variable expenses, like you said, maintenance and, uh, uh, vacancy, like, should I be looking at the cash flow line? Should I be looking at the NOI? I would look at both. Um, okay. because well, you which, have, okay, sorry, let me, let me, it's, which, it's, what am I depositing in the bank? That's maybe that's the question I should ask. If you don't have any expenses, you're depositing 417, but okay. you will at times have expenses. It's such a variable that it's hard for me to say. I have, okay. for example, I have a house that I've had for seven years. And I've had two maintenance calls the entire time. And the same tenants have been there the entire time. And they're fantastic. And then I have another one where it seems like once a quarter, somebody has to stick something in the garbage disposal. And so once a quarter, I've got a little maintenance bill on that house. Uh, so I've got, got a lot more little maintenance on that property. The other one where they never call me, I haven't really had any except a big one. Um, with a long story with a grinder pump and it was not cheap, but it's the only one that I've had in seven years. Cool. So I can't like without a crystal ball, I can't say for sure, but you're going to get somewhere realistically somewhere in between two forty and four seventeen. Okay, great. So if you are extremely conservative, focus on the downside and look at the NOI. That's what I'd that, say. Yeah, Is that, that, a that range answers my question. I don't understand why is there why is there a, a two forty and then a four seventeen? Like where are we and, and I missed this part by the way, Devin. Okay. So cash flow, this first number right here. If you have fourteen seventy five a month in rent and you subtract your fixed expenses, which are gonna be mortgage payment, taxes insurance and management, that's $417 a month. Mm. If a maintenance issue pops up and you have somebody move in and out, vacancy, 8% mm. assumption, then your average would be closer to $240 a month. Got if it. somebody is in place from day one and nothing breaks, which is not realistic, you'll get $417 a month. Mm. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So it's kind of like best case is 417. That's how much it's going to generate, but you will have expenses. You guys all run businesses. You know what your top line revenue is and you have expenses and some of them are variable. You know, some of them are fixed salaries. Um, advertising is variable, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So similar. Great questions. And Devin, I want to, I'll jump in here really quick. What's what I found, I was talking with our accountant and I'm curious, I want to make sure that you feel this way as well. And what's cool about this guys is, is, um, you know, I know to some of us, we might see 400 bucks a month. We're like, man, like 400 bucks, but we, you know, once you get eight, 10, 12 of them, let's say you got 20, right? Like my first target would be 20, 8k a month. That's you can, you can do a lot with 8k a month. Right. But what was cool and, and Devin, you can correct me if I'm wrong is, 
essentially that's damn near tax-free money, right? Because of the way that you can depreciate it. And so basically they, it, when you say AK month, it's actually AK month, right? It's not actually going into our, um, if we structure it properly, it was basically on my account. So he's like, you're not gonna be able to write stuff off with anything or whatever, but you're going to yeah. get the money for free is essentially what he told me. Yeah. Uh, there, there are a lot of ways to offset that income. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's, it's income that's coming in without you having to work for it. Yeah. You know, and you're that's never what's great. like my, yeah. If your expenses are like five, six K and you have AK coming in, then you could literally just give the, the world the bird. Right. Like, and just never do I'd rather do that than work with work with clients all day. So <laughs> sit, sit and take I mean, the passive income, you know, like, Hey, that's, that's pretty darn good. That's <laughs> totally up to you, but you know, yeah, exactly. It's money that you, that you don't have to work for. Um, because at some point you may not want to, you may not want to run your business. Um, and you're absolutely right. $400 a month. Does it make a huge difference to the group that I'm speaking to right now? No. Um, but a couple that I was talking to last week that are getting close to retirement age that they make about 50 K, you know, and they're about to be on social security, $400 a month means a lot. I don't, I don't mean to diminish the, the $400 a month, but I just, I look at it as like, how yeah. do we get 20 of them have 19 full at all times. And then totally, you know, and, and the other thing as well, like, I think there's what four ways that you can monetize this, especially if you're looking at it from a true appreciation standpoint, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, McBilly, but it's so powerful. Like number one, you're getting the actual cash return. Number yeah. two, you're getting the tax write-offs and benefits. Number three, that you don't have to pay taxes on firms. So you can depreciation and you don't have to pay taxes on the money that's coming in um, because of the way you can write it off. And then number four, just the long-term appreciation, which, you know, if there's one thing I feel confident in, I don't feel confident a lot with the financial markets. I don't think real estate's going to get cheaper, you know? And so that would be a bet I'd be willing to take. And so just having four ways to monetize that money, um, the, the numbers can get astronomical with some pretty conservative projections in regards to your, your turns are looking like, especially even if you compare it to the stock market and even some of the bull run that's been going on here. So that's why I look, to look at it that way as well. Um, just, you know, another way to store and, and grow your wealth. I mean, I agree a thousand percent. I'm on, I'm on the same train of how can I have a hundred of these? I'm not quitting my job any, I love this. I would, there's nothing I'd rather do than talk to people about real estate investing all day long. Um, I tell Taylor all the time, he's dragging me out of here in a body bag. But <laughs> if I ever were in, you know, a position where I didn't, I didn't want to, it'd be nice to have that there. But also I am in a position now I have, you know, I don't have a giant portfolio, but I have enough coming in that some of my fun things are essentially arbitraged by money that I didn't have to work for. Um, and soon, you know, probably by the end of this year, I'll be at a position where my real estate is covering all of my expenses. So then I get to come to work for the joy of it because I, because I love it because I love y'all. Because there's never enough Scott Themans in the world. And no, then, <laughs> we all know that. <laughs> That'd be a big fucking problem. <laughs> so, um, as far as like, because um, obviously this is going to be like a long-term play, right? Because, I mean, I, I agree with Nick that, you know, obviously we don't want to discount the 400 bucks. But also, also, I mean, 400 bucks, like, and even and that's even like on the high end, 200 per month, you know, like, is it, is that worth it? Right. Like that's, that's always kind of like the back of your mind, but I, I understand like, you know, well, you have 20 you gotta, the, the beginning really, really quick, Devin. And then I'll, yeah. I, I want you to go you, the, Mick Billy, the, the beginning will really help illustrate it. The, it's the power of money and the purchasing power of taking the money now, because it's in, instead of having it in cash, right? Sure. If you put it into ads, you could probably get, you know, a 10 to one or whatever. Right. But this is about the long-term, you know, building of it as opposed to storing things as cash. So I don't like to look at it as necessarily, what am I going to invest in my business? Because you know, is with your software company and the our market, like, you invest money in, you're going to get a bunch. This is more about storing vehicles as a cash for the long term and the buying power that comes from it. And Devin, I'll let you talk about that as well, but uh, because that's where I see the power of it. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. It's you know, um, the income is just is just one one portion. You're never going to get the same return in any investment vehicle that you do in your business. That's always going to be the highest return. However, it requires your time and or your management. So 
real estate investment or other investments that you do. It's about putting the money that you earn to work passively without your active effort. Sure. Uh, and um, real estate is one vehicle where it's, you know, it will give you a multitude of ways to pay you over the long term. And you'll have the opportunity to leverage equity to make additional acquisitions without taking cash out of your pocket. And most other investment vehicles don't quite give you that opportunity. So um, I agree. I agree with that. And, uh, I, and I'm very interested, by the way. Um, the, my question there, though, is because, you know, again, like we're, we're all thinking long term here. And if we're trying to also think, I want to get to a point where I'm getting these, you know, income um, and it's very passive, right? Which we all want. Um, like how, how secured am I with like the property management aspect, especially if it's also kind of out of state where I don't, you know, like that, I guess that's where my, my other question mm -hmm. kind of goes to. Like, you know, who are you guys managing this? Are we managing it with like a third party, like property management? Like, what does that look like? Currently, we have a third party property management partner in each market. And they're the same ones that are managing our portfolio. And me personally, they're the same property managers that I use. Um, you know, we've been in chats about building our own property management company. It's not an easy or fast project. It's something that is definitely, you know, in the works. It's not going to happen tomorrow. So that being said, you know, the property managers that you would be working with, you could, I mean, you could find your own if you wanted to, or you could use the ones that we're using that Chris and Taylor are using. They're managing millions and millions of our assets and me personally, you know, um, I used to own a property management company and I'm pretty good at knowing who's good and who's not and can help give you some advice along the way anytime that you, that you need help. But, you know, buying property out of state to me is, to me is not crazy because this is my zone. This is my zone of genius. This is what I do all day. Mm -hmm. Um, if you're, if it, that is something that makes you uncomfortable, we can totally like talk one-on-one -on -one and find out what about it makes you uncomfortable and I can help you. I personally am less emotional about houses that I've never seen than the ones that like I've seen. The ones that I've flipped myself that I put my own blood, sweat and tears into, I should have sold it and I can't because, right. <laughs> because I'm emotionally invested in the property. Yep. And then I got one in Alabama that I've never seen and I don't want to see it. And it's only two hours away. And yep. I'm, I make non-emotional decisions about what I'm doing there. Yep. No, it's, I mean, honestly, well, I also bought, actually, I bought my house uh, out of state. I used to live in New York. I bought this sight and scene. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm with you in there. Uh, I don't have any emotion on it. I'm more of a numbers guy and I just want to understand you know, like obviously if it makes sense and then more like long-term also just the security of like this property management company is not going to go out in 10 years, you know, somewhere along those lines, you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally understand that. And I'm 10 years from now, I'm sure it'll be in house. <laughs> Hopefully I don't get shot for saying that, but um, yeah. <laughs> And, okay. and I'll, I'll say I, I, that was a concern of mine too, McBilly, especially if like filling the properties and getting them in. I don't trust anybody's marketing skills. Being a marketer, it pisses me yep. off. People suck at marketing. <laughs> and I feel like all property, everyone who's not a marketing company sucks at marketing for the most part. Um, but our experiences have been, you know, fantastic. The, the Baldwin company who I can remember off the top of my head has been one of the best groups of people I've ever worked with in any capacity as far as a vendor goes. Bud's, Bud's a little unique in Alabama. He's a, he's a character. But the, and the, I will say, though, that they've been great in regards to working with them so far, because that was a concern of mine, too, because I just hear, hear nightmares about property management companies. And I mean, and they suck. Like, my property management company sucks. We asked him how to fix the blinds yesterday, and he said, do it yourself. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Fuck you. Like, literally, he said it to semi. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what do you do it myself? Get someone fucking in here. The blinds fell off. People could be like, it's crazy right so um i was touchy about it as well because i've dealt with so many shitty property management companies in the past but the ones they have here have been great and then you could always look for your own too is what devin told me as well it's like you don't yeah. have to use them you're not required to use what they say which i thought was great um as well in my experience you get what you pay for though so like if you go for a discount property manager that charges seven percent a month 
they're going to get you on the back end with maintenance. So how much, uh, how much is the one that you guys work with? Uh, they vary from market to market, but eight to 10% monthly rent is pretty standard. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And that's built into the projections already. Right. Like, I mean, so that yeah. was already built. It's so like the pro they, yeah. that's already built in McBilly beforehand. Gotcha. What's also awesome. I will say there's two things that I really loved about the experience. Number one, Devin was able to give me a coherent answer about why Taylor and Chris don't buy all the properties. And I thought about it. I'm like, that makes a shit ton of sense. They need, they want to be able to find them and not have to pay anybody else. But so they probably are making money on this endeavor as well, both on the flips everywhere else, as well as being able to build their own portfolio. Are we probably not getting the best property? Sure. But as long as they hit the numbers and everyone's happy, everyone's happy. And she was very upfront. The last company couldn't really explain that to me and it was annoying, but it made sense who said it. The other side of it is sitting down, breaking things down and just seeing the numbers ahead of time and the projections have been, you know, spot on. So it's been really nice to be able to go through that, see the numbers and what they're looking at. And, um, you know, so far, with the two projections were very close to the actual numbers we looked at beforehand. And now the money just being deposited in, in my accounts, right? Like I'm just paying the bank, they're dropping in. And it's very similar to where, where we were in Scott. I know it's had a similar experience, Justin and Luke. I don't know how many Justin and Luke have. I think they're, are they at like 12 or something? Or they want 12 more this year? <laughs> no, I'm not going to throw them under the bus like that. They're, um, but yeah, they're buying. Okay, they're by, I think they said they wanted 12 more this year. I think that was their, what they said. Anyway, um, so yeah, that's been my biggest thing. McBilly as well, the transparency of it all, and it, it's matched up. Actually, nice. Scott, Scott okay. Thiemann here is the one who's trying to win the race, it seems like. He's, <laughs> I know he tells me every he's, day. He's like, I just want to retire and, you know. <laughs> he messages me like every day, like, you know, I want that one. I want that one. I want that one. It's so. not every day. Relax. Twice a week. Okay. Twice a week. Well, you did. You started off this call in the chat by saying, save me the best effing houses, please. So <laughs> I did. Yeah. Sorry, guys. That's about right. Well, um, I, I mean, I look at it like I want to get, um, first of all, Devin and Wealthcap have been amazing. I highly recommend it. Because, yeah, I, as I was learning about it, the BRRR method, it's just so much time and energy and effort. Yeah. And, you know, we could be building a better ad or funnel or hiring a better person during that time. So that's how I look at it. So this takes that away a lot of time. And then I, I was showing some of my friends in real estate who have real estate businesses, the uh, pro formas and stuff. And they're like, oh, you could get better. You could, you know, it could be at this percentage or you could have this cash on cash if you did it yourself. And then I was thinking about it like, okay, that might be true, but you're talking about three or four or 5% and I'd rather give that up and have it be a hundred percent hands off. The way I see it, it's it's the Burr method, but you partner with another company on it. It's the same concept. You're just help. They're just taking a certain portion of it to open up your time because it is going to require time to build out and do all. Yeah. We're just at the second to last R, which would be rent. So they yeah. do the BRR, we do yeah. the R, and then we'll do the rent, and then we'll do the refinance. Down the it's line. pretty neat to watch the flip, though. I mean, they you guys bought my house in Alabama for 60K in December. Three months later, it sold for 105, and I was like, that's pretty badass. And then it actually appraised at 110. I'm like, so the 35K flip there, you know, roughly. And I, just looking at the whole model, it's a very unique and awesome model to kind of observe all the way through. And it's all transparent, too. You can see what the house was bought for previously. You see all the stuff that work that goes in, you know, all that type of stuff. It's a really, really badass model. Well, thanks. And I agree <laughs> with you guys. Like, it's people ask me all the time, some of these guys that I work with, uh, like why I don't buy stuff around here in Nashville and do this because this is what I used to do. And it's my my zone of genius. And it's just not the best use of my time. The highest and best use of my time is here at my job. Uh, The numbers don't work great where I live. I know where some of you guys live, numbers don't work really well, depending on taxes, purchase prices, cap rates with the amount of rent that you can get. Um, And doing a flip from a distance is not an easy feet doing a flip in your own backyard is not an easy feat (laughs) Devin thank you thank you so much for jumping in thanks for listening discover how you can start building wealth with real estate even without experience in our free book why real estate and how to get started by visiting wealthcapholdings.com slash book that's wealthcapholdings.com slash book